Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This episode of Hunting Land is brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable, and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. And also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. Butch, you and I got some big weekends planned coming up. Uh, I feel a little bit of pressure. Uh, not a bad way, but you know, planting a tree, and especially planting lots of trees, it's a big deal. I mean, if you really sit back and think about it, especially when you're planting something that you don't intend to harvest. I mean, you could go plant a longleaf or a loblolly on your place today, and you're probably going to see that tree harvested, hopefully. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you and I are planning on planting some chestnuts on our place, and things go right. These trees may be feeding wildlife and members of our family long after we're gone hopefully you know you never know yeah for a really long time it's definitely cool to see man whenever we first bought our place back in 1999 and 2000 we pretty immediately planted you helped us do a, a bunch of that stuff we planted yeah. all those sawtooths kind of lining some of our fields and you know right around the, the camp plot and it's really cool to look back and go dang man i planted those you know 22 years ago it's yeah pretty, uh pretty cool to see and yeah it's very cool to see them throw off uh you know the the fruits of their labor the acorns and whatnot these are going to be dunston chestnuts so yeah. we'll be collecting those for years to come but it's definitely cool to see the the deer eating the acorns from the trees that we planted and we um do some different things with the kids collect the acorns and put little trees in buckets and then we <laughs> replant them so it's yeah. a, it's definitely a fun activity yeah and it's always fun to kind of drive through and you see that row of trees planted and you're going Hey, why are those two missing right there? Oh, that's where the tractor got a couple correct, of them. Correct. You know? A little incident there, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to think about, though. Like, you know, I mean, hopefully you, your tractor is kind of uh, operator error. But, uh, you know, I, I just think about all that kind of stuff when I'm fixing to put a tree in the ground. Like, am I putting this tree in a spot where it's going to do well, where I'm going to be able to maintain around it, you know, and give it what it needs, not let it get, you know, herbicided or hit with implements? Well, and it's got to have, you know, the right kind of soil too. I don't think it can right. be too wet. It can't be too dry. can't be too sandy. So looking forward to learning all about that today. Yeah. Well, before we go up to our place and get our planting done, we are going to go to the experts over at Chestnut Hill, talking with Ian Wallace. And we're going to find out everything you need to think about if you want to plant the best trees for deer this year. Ian, welcome back to Hunt Land, man. For folks that haven't heard you on here before, give everybody a little rundown of Chestnut Hill. Yeah, hey guys, it's good to be back. So I, uh, I'm the owner of Chestnut Hill Outdoors. We are a family-owned nursery that's been in operation since 1980s, early 1980s, and we've grown all kinds of different products over the years. But um, specifically, fruit and nut trees, and we've shipped to Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Rural King online mail order and we kind of done a little bit of everything and uh we were founded on uh the dunston chestnut um which my great grandfather bred as a uh as a a way to reinvigorate um chestnuts in america after they were um wiped out by the blight uh in the you know in the early 1900s so 
that's a little bit about what we do and and who we are. And, you know, we just, we care a lot about the land and helping people just get familiar with their land and become stewards uh, with, with their property. That's one of the most rewarding parts of land ownership is, is the legacy that you create during your time. Leaving of, it better than you found ownership. It. Yeah. Feeling like you are hoping that you are trying to, you know, hoping so trying our best anyways, efforting that way. And, uh, you know, Butch and I are both going to be planting some Dunstan chestnuts on our properties coming up, uh, for that exact reason, you know, I mean, we've talked about it on here before, but, uh, the blight of the American chestnut and how that used to be most predominant hardwood tree in the Eastern United States. And now they're pretty much almost are none. You guys have done an amazing job of, of making chestnuts possible for landowners and, uh, we're going to be putting some on our properties. We're really excited. We got got kind of a family get together going on to come up and uh, tree planting party. Yay! Yeah. Hey, hey, you get to run the auger. All right. <laughs> right. You know, so, but uh, I'm going to let you help me plant these yeah, trees. This, just imagine how good you're going to feel <laughs> watching this tree grow. Um, but you know, selfishly, what we wanted to do today is is get a primer. You know, on everything we need to think about because it's not it's not common sense for most people. And and there is a lot to think about when you're talking about something that could outlive you uh, and putting it in the ground and want, wanting it to outlive you. So first question is, when when it comes to picking a spot to put these trees in the ground, and, and we're going to focus on Dunstan's today, uh, are we looking for any particular soil conditions, you know, in terms of, say, temperatures or moisture? Can you just take us through what we're looking for in terms of soil conditions? Yeah, I think the most important thing to take into account is is just to be familiar with your your land's soil conditions. You know, most fruit and nut trees can grow in most soil types and in different climates. Um, whether it's sandy or you have real nice sandy loam soils, or if you're clay, many trees can do well in any of those conditions. And I wouldn't write yourself out of planting trees uh, if you think you have particularly, you know, sandy soil. I hear that one a lot. Oh, my soil is real sandy. I don't know if it's going to work. Well, it, it can certainly work, especially if you're providing water enough during the first few years. And you also hear people say, oh, I got clay soils. I don't know how I'm going to do well. And clay soils, you just may want to water a little bit less because you could have a little bit more oversaturated soil. So it's familiarize yourself with your with your planting site. One thing really important to take into consideration is if you have standing water in an area. If you ever see standing water, it means that uh, I mean even even once a year. You know, with heavy rains, you see your uh, preferred planting site has a little bit of standing water for a day or so. That'll kill a tree. It, mm. it won't work mm. in that area. Um, so you need to make sure that the soil is well drained. And that could be on flats, but, uh, you know, maybe on a little bit of an incline where the soil is going to drain off. Um, but that that would be the one big red flag that I would say take a look at as far as soil goes with a planting site yeah that's definitely good information definitely made a note on that there's plenty of uh plenty of places like that on my place as far as holding water goes well and now to that to that end butch i mean right now february you know dead of winter it's a great time to go out and look for those spots because most places are going to be as wet as they yeah. will be throughout the year right now. Especially this year, it's been so a wet, wet, if wet If you year. can find that dry spot right now, that's likely going to be a good good location. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Well, Ian, talking about that a little bit, you know, some of us uh, know the what the soil test came back for that particular food plot, so we kind of have an idea, but some people may not. Is this something that we need to get a soil test to the location where we're possibly going to put these trees? So I would say it's not completely necessary to get a soil test. You know, a soil test, I, you could label it as extracurricular, I think. If you want to do a soil test on the front end before you plant, it's a great thing to do. Like I said, familiarizing yourself with 
your soil is is just not going to hurt. You know, where I would mostly recommend a soil test is typically when you see someone's planted and the tree after the first year or two just isn't growing. You know, they've fertilized, they've provided water. You know, we've done some tree doctoring and we we determine that they haven't overwatered or they haven't underwatered. It seems like things are okay. Then I would say definitely get a soil test um, because you may be looking at some minor nutrients that are off or or maybe maybe the planter didn't realize how much you know, they were, they were watering and they needed to water a little bit less or a little bit more. And, and it's, it's that kind of scenario that I would recommend it. But at the beginning of planting, you don't have to, but it's certainly uh, helpful to go in armed with that information. Yep. That's a great point. Especially if you have any dead trees around there, just kind of make sure everything around where you're planting them is, is full of life. And I like that tip a lot. It makes sense. Ian, what about soil temperature? You know, I mean, Butch and I, our properties both in Alabama, Soil temps never really get that cold uh, for very long, but folks probably listen to this from all different parts of the country. Is there a particular soil temperature that you look for to plant or not to plant? Like, is it is there such a thing as too cold? I mean, obviously, if the ground's frozen, it's going to just make it harder to dig a hole. But is there such a thing as too cold or too warm when it comes to Dunstan's? Yeah, I would, uh, just like you said, if the ground's frozen, it, it's, it, it could kill the root system in a new tree. Now, obviously, when trees are established, frozen, frozen soil isn't going to kill them. Many trees are deciduous trees that live in really cold climates. You know, chestnuts are go up to zone five. There are some of our guys who planted in zone four, and it's cold. And um, the ground does freeze in those first few years. And I, you know, there's guys who've had success. I don't always recommend zone four, but zone five, certainly the chestnut grows well. Um, But, you know, when you get down into areas where the soil doesn't freeze, it's not a concern to worry about. We on the farm, uh, we're in Florida, Northern Florida. So we actually plant all year round I prefer not to plant in the summertime, but in the coldest of cold in the middle of the winter is really when I prefer to plant, actually, um, because that's when the trees are, are completely dormant. You can get them in the ground and have less water requirements for the first few months. And, I, you know, there's, there's actually some research um, that I've seen, you know, it's pretty traditional. It's, it's pretty traditional to plant in the north in spring or maybe in fall. Um, but I've, I've seen some, some recommendations in recent years that you can plant actually later than we, we traditionally do. Now, I don't wanna comment exactly how, how late you know, that would be for the Northern states. It's probably best. If your ground freezes, it's best to plant when it's not frozen. Um, but in the South uh, and in you know, the, the kind of Northern South and the Central, you know, you can plant pretty late into the year and pretty early in the spring. What about rain, Ian? You know, is this something that we need to be watching to forecast and run up there and put them in the ground two or three days before a rain? Or is that something that you even consider? So from my standpoint, as somebody who's recommending the best possible scenario for trees to survive and do well, I don't consider rain too often. I think that it's most important to have a watering plan set up regardless of precipitation. So I would recommend having that watering plan in place and then letting the rain supplement around the watering plan. However, I know that is not always possible in many situations. I know that you guys are planting pretty remote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of ends up edging more towards letting the, your watering plan supplement mother nature's watering plan. Right. (laughs) And that that's a very typical situation and um, that's okay to do. So if, if you're, if you're able to get there in between rains and, and, and especially in drought times and provide water um, yes, then maybe waiting for a nice rain is a good time. You know, one thing I will say too, though, 
when you're planting dormant trees in the early, early spring, when it's everything is still dormant, or if you're planting in the fall, when everything's kind of shutting down and going to sleep and it's not in a peak growing season, um, the tree aren't, isn't going to require a ton of water at first. It's when the tree's really vigorously growing, when it's spring and, and those new sprouts come out. And then in the, in the hot summer months, when the tree has a ton of growth, those are the most important times to have water for your tree, not necessarily around planting. I like what I'm hearing. I mean, come springtime, usually my kind of question to my wife is, honey, do you mind if I go to the camp this weekend? Uh, it's turkey season. But this this year, it's going to be, I just have to go. The trees need water. Um, <laughs> while right. I'm there, I'm going to try to Might check turkeys because yeah. I don't want to mess them with the trees. So, of course, seems reasonable. Well, but speaking of water, uh, like you said, I mean, for guys that are remote, like like Butch and I are, you know, absentee landowners, we're we're going to kind of have to watch nature and and uh, modify our, our watering plan based on what's going on and I'm I'm kind of preparing myself to lose a few trees here and there potentially, and, and hopefully not. You know, hopefully we can we can um, apply water if we get into an extended period without it. What are those ideal watering recommendations, Ian? If somebody's planting in a place where they can do this, or they have the ability to, you know, hook up their rig and and go to this spot and, and apply some water, what would be the ideal scenario? So uh, I would recommend, especially in the peak summer months, to water probably two times if it's real hot and dry or you have really sandy soil three times a week. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for a, real, uh, a young, newly planted tree, really about a gallon of water gallon, two gallons of water, thoroughly soaking the root system. You want to make sure that the whole root ball is being saturated. You know, that that's something that occurs. People think they've watered their plant sufficiently when they really haven't watered deeply enough. Um, so you want to make sure that your, your, um, your root system is fully saturated. That being said, there's also so such a thing as overwatering a tree and that can happen in the winter months. Um, let's say, you know, a year from now when you guys have had those trees established for a year and it's winter time, you know, you may have, we may have another real wet year that year. And when it's real wet like that, you, you don't need to water hardly at all. You know, for instance, we've been replanting our persimmon orchard on the farm and I haven't turned that irrigation on since probably October or yeah. November. Um, so it, they're dormant. They don't require much water during those winter months. It's like your yard. You know, I, I would like to just have a setup on my sprinkler system that I could just leave it and forget it. But the reality is, is you watch the rainfall and you adjust it accordingly. Sometimes I go out there and just turn it off and don't have to turn it on for quite a while because it God does the work. But right. Good to know what you're up against for these ideal scenarios. But what about what about freezes? So, you know, putting trees in the ground this time of year, uh, that's one of my concerns is that, hey, anytime between now and the end of March, even into April in some years, we can get a really cold freeze. Uh, you know, we had one last year in April during turkey season, um, really affected our acorn production, at least where my property uh, was this past year, uh, felt like. And do we need to be concerned about upcoming freezes? If so, what do we do when we see one coming? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. If trees are still dormant, then freeze just, it's just not uh, something you should be concerned about unless you're getting very cold temperatures. But if you think about the guys up in zone five up in Michigan, um, their year old planted trees are sometimes getting zero degrees. They're doing fine when they're dormant. The thing you want to watch out for is when the sap starts to flow in the spring and you get, you know, you get some warm temperatures, everything starts to wake up and you start to get some tender new leaves. And then we get that late spring frost. You know, in that situation, 
I I would say there's there's a couple things that weigh to our benefit. If it's just a nipping cold and and it bites back some of the tender new leaves, it's not going to kill a tree. Okay. Um and then for a tree that's been established for a year or so and you get the same situation, maybe it's even a little bit colder and the something to to think about is when the sap flows, you have water in the limbs. And when it freezes, it it causes those that water to freeze inside the tree and it breaks the tender tissue. And um, what can happen sometimes when it when the sap is flowing like that is the part of the trunk can break. You know, it freezes and then you're left with a, basically a year a yearling tree that's that's looks dead. But you got to remember that the root system is still alive. So with a scenario like that, where you have a new tree that looks dead, that's okay. You can chop it back to almost ground level and you're going to get suckers that come out from the root system, pick a dominant sucker, and it will sometimes outgrow the old growth because of how the root system is established. Um, especially on young trees like that, you know, year or two tree, the root system is, is fortunately still alive and well, if, if you've heard of, you know, American chestnuts still, um, existing in the wild, it's because the root systems are still alive under, under the ground and, um, the blight is, uh, airborne. So they'll grow sometimes for years and, and have large growth um, before they're affected by the blight, but the root system can stay strong for a long time. So some treatments that you can do for uh, a freeze, um, if you could, is to throw some freeze cloth uh, around those trees. If you can get there, if you have enough freeze cloth, you know, I even recommend for guys who have, you know, a, a, a tree kind of close to the house, you can get a sheet or a blanket and cover some of that new cloth and cover some of that new growth. And the way to do that is you want to make sure that the ground um, is, is, is underneath the uh, frost blanket. Um, You don't want to wrap it like a lollipop. You see, you see that sometimes, Um, but it's actually the ground temperatures that allow warmth to uh, retain around the tree. So if you do a frost cloth um, around the tree, make sure that the ground is is included in that. And you can take a look on our website uh, under freeze protection and kind of see some pictures of what that looks like. So, but frost cloth is, is probably the best thing you can do in that situation. Otherwise, you know, a nipping freeze like that is probably not gonna be terribly detrimental unless it's a real cold temperature. Great tips there. So Ian, we talked a little bit about site selection from a soil standpoint. Um, but you know, we gotta gotta bush hog our, our fields and keep the keep the grass low where we can kind of maintain everything. From a maintenance standpoint, what can we look for for the best possible site for our trees? So from a maintenance standpoint, I, is that, I would is that allow... all that we have to is that all that we have to think about is you know bush hogging around them or are there more considerations that we're going to need to get in there to do obviously you just said watering I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have right. to pack my water in so that'll be a tractor thing but are there any other considerations I would say that you want to have access with your equipment you know it, it, if you can't get your equipment back there it may be difficult to get water um, and to get you know down the road spray or bush hog but you know I would say that's that's probably about it. You know, lugging in your uh, fertilizer, access to those trees with equipment would be helpful. Um, But besides that, um, you know, there's not anything in particular that needs needs addressing uh, other than access. The other thing that I was talking with Butch about this week, you know, was saying, well, where, you know, I got a pretty good feel for his property and where are you going to plant your trees? And thinking about it from a from a hunter's standpoint, you know, I would like to have a few trees as in, in as many different places as I could yeah, so that ideally. I can spread the deer out, spread the animals out a little bit. Wild hogs are a concern. You know, like if, if I've got all my trees in one spot, hogs can just get in there and, and nail that and wipe it out. And so 
you know, I, I'm thinking about when those Dunstans are going to drop. I'm I'm looking to them more as a forage base for my wildlife and to keep wildlife on my property at a time of the year that's usually really stressful for them in that really early fall, late su- late summer period. And uh, I'm not so much thinking about hunting over them as much as I am just using them to keep animals on the property. That being said, what do you think hunters should think about in terms of choosing a site? And and another big question in that is how many trees per location are they going to need? Like, can they get away with two or three or do they need to go with more than that in a cluster? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first point you made is probably in my opinion, one of the most important points is that by planting more food sources, you're increasing the carrying capacity of your land and you're allowing for the wildlife to feed. And, and, you know, if there's a property next door that doesn't have these available foods, they're going to bed on your property more often. And over time, your property will be a hot spot for wildlife. Right. Um, but, you know, as far as you know, planting for the strategy of, you know, watching the traffic on your property. Uh, You know, I'll say from our experience on our property, we know what lanes our wildlife are walking down. Um, I have, we have a few orchards. We have a, a citrus orchard on top of the hill. We have a persimmon orchard kind of on the, on the side of the hill. And then we have the large chestnut orchard, and I, I see those deer running out of the same channels every day. Mm-hmm. I just, I see them every day in and out. It's the most predictable thing. Um, when I get to the farm at, you know, 7 a.m., they're skittering off into the woods. When I'm leaving at 5, 6, 7, they're, they're skittering back into the woods. Same spot. And, um, you know, I know where different groups are bedded down because of that. Um, you you recognize that doe and, you know, her fawn. Um, they're bedded up in that area up by the citrus. And then, you know, that buck's in that other area. It just is a utility to, you know, once you have those plots established, you're able to see that movement, I think, um, which, you know, it's just like any food plot, I think comes that uh, ability to watch the traffic in a different way. You know, we, we get to sort of manipulate that traffic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, just Butch, you know, what that has me thinking about is you and I talk a lot about the ingress and egress that we're going to use to go to and from a hunting location. We think a lot about that. We're very careful about how we get in and how we get out to minimize the amount of pressure we're putting on the property. We probably don't want to locate a little chestnut grove in right. a spot you that walk we're trying right to, past it to get to walk your right hand. past or walk through it or sure you know you want to kind of put it at the end of the road into the cul-de-sac so to speak yeah yeah and something else you you mentioned too was how many trees to plant uh, just a few trees and be plenty to cause i think traffic we have a pretty small citrus patch which wasn't planted for deer and they they frequent that area. I want to say there's six trees and it's one of the most crowded um, deer spots on the property. Mm. Not, not on purpose and, you know, just a few. Right. So, you know, when it comes to strategizing where to plant um, I think, you know, a handful of different varieties at each planting site is a, is a great way to go about it because you'll have a variety of different trees and it doesn't take a lot to direct deer to those food sources. You don't need 50 trees. I mean, only a few trees is going to get them to move on occasion to that area. Thinking about that, Butch, you know, like we've got the, um, you've been seen at my place, have several really uh, mature persimmons that, that drop pretty annually. Um, it'd be good to almost supplement those persimmon locations with some chestnut planting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what I was thinking there leading me into my next question was, you know, those persimmon trees and some of the other things that we have planted, 
don't take up that much room. Like what about spacing on these, Ian? How far should they be apart? And I mean, what, I mean, these are big, these are big trees. So what can we expect Eventually. as far as neat? Yeah. Right. Right. Hopefully planning on them being big trees. Let me put it that way. So what are some things that we can think about as far as that goes? I would assume you need, you know, pretty, pretty dang big area for your canopy for that Dunstan. So what about spacing? Yeah. So for spacing, you want to make sure to, you know, I mean, for each tree that you're planting, if you check our website, each product has uh, recommended spacing. So like you mentioned, a persimmon is going to have a little bit smaller spacing, a chestnut, chestnut, a little bit larger spacing. And, you know, there's, there's a, so I would recommend following those spacing requirements. There's a couple of ways to look at this. So it depends on how you're going to plant your trees. If you want to plant it in a traditional orchard grid, then the recommended spacing is the best way to compact as many trees in one area. So at chestnuts are around 40 foot spacing. And so 40 foot from each tree, you can plant another tree in a grid. And that will maximize the amount of trees you can plant in one acre. However, some people want to plant on the edge of an existing food plot, which is also a perfectly good way to plant. Um, and you may plant 40 feet down the edge of your, your existing food plot. But for some guys, you may not have enough trees to plant 40 foot. You might want to plant 50 feet or 60 foot um, in a straight line. You know, I would not recommend planting much further than uh, 100 foot because at that point you're diminishing your pollination requirements. We we recommend at least two, but really more like three or four trees of the required pollinator to be able to cross pollinate. And if you have any less than that, um, it's just gonna take longer for those trees to maturely produce fruit and nut. And if you space further apart, um, it's gonna be harder for pollinator species to create the pollination. The closer you have them to our suggested spacing, the, the, the closer you'll be to be able to do that cross pollination. Um, so that's something to think about. The best way to get the most pollination is for them to be in a grid pattern, like a traditional orchard where, you know, at a 90 degree angle, they're at, you know, there's a square of trees that is in a grid system. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. This week's show is brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live, work, or play in the country. Farm Credit is here to help you make your dream of country living a reality. Their unique cooperative structure allows them to return some of their profits back to their borrowers. This patronage distribution effectively lowers a borrower's rate. To get started with your first or next land purchase, give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL or visit them at www.gorural.net and also brought to you by NCX. As a landowner, the more income I can generate from my land, the better I can take care of it. That's why I use NCX. NCX helps over 20,000 American landowners like you understand and maximize the value of every acre. Find new revenue streams for your land with programs like timber, carbon, wildlife habitat, solar energy, and more. Get started with a free account at ncx.com and discover the true value of your land. Ian, going back to the linear planting style, um, I could I think a lot of people have you know good clear places along the edges of food plots that they could put a line of chestnuts. In that scenario, where those chestnuts are forty feet apart in a line, do they also need to be forty feet away from? the nearest other tree. So like, say your food plot is, is, is located and you've got, you know, plantation pines on one side and hardwoods on the other side, would you, and you were going to plant down either one of those sides, 
would you want to keep those chestnuts 40 feet away from the hardwoods or 40 feet away from the pines? Or does that factor into that? Yes. Uh, the main concern here is sunlight. So you want to make sure that they have full sun to be able to get the best production down the road. You know, if, if you had to, you can do less than full sun, but I wouldn't recommend it for best production. The, the 40 foot spacing is basically the, the spread of the tree. So that's about how wide the tree will be at maturity. And so if you plant any closer than that spread, then you're going to have the tree growing into other trees. And you're also going to have uh, it be shaded out as it grows. Um, so uh, it would be best to to plant 40 feet away from, to answer your question, it would be best to plant 40 feet away from the closest tr other tree line that you have. You need a 40 foot radius to radius to the next tree. Correct. Line. You know, so I'm really starting to see this materialize on my place. This reminds me, Butch, of the podcast we did a while back talking about proven wild turkey habitat. And one of the recommendations during that podcast in our food plots was to do some winter disking. And yeah. those buffers around the edges of the food plot and leave those unplanted. What those buffers also function to do is create a fire break between your food plot and the timber on the, on the outside. So, you know, like places like your place and mine, where you've got timber surrounding these food plot areas, it'd be really easy to have a 40 foot strip that you keep, that you disc every, you know, once a year, it's your fire break to protect your your, your chestnuts that are planted, you know, right there, uh, away from prescribed fire that you may be doing in the pines next to it. So I, I would think that you would not want to run a fire through a grove of chestnuts, Ian, how do they respond to prescribed fire? Do they need to get to a certain age before they can handle it? Or are they like some other, you know, hardwood species that you might top kill them and then they'll come back? So I would recommend not doing a prescribed burn over top of newly planted trees that you buy just in, in the wild chestnuts are adapted to fire. Once the tree is mature, um, they're, they're semi-resistant to fires, just like, you know, most hardwoods are that are, are in, you know, large growth forests like that. What do you consider mature, Ian? Like, uh, how how soon would it be okay? Yeah, what point could you be good to burn around it? I would say at least 10 or 15 years. Mm. That would be my recommendation. Really older, the older the better. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just run a risk of of burning your tree all the way to the ground. Sure. Um, and, and once you're at 10 or 15 years old, uh, that's, that's quite a bit of growth to replace. Um, yes, that root system will survive and yes, it will send out suckers. Um, but then you're waiting, you know, for a large, um, growth tree to grow back. Now, remember if it's a 15 year old tree, it's already producing nuts. So, I mean, that new sucker could be producing in the next year, but it won't be producing as much nut production because it doesn't have as many limbs and as much leaf material to, you know, photosynthesize and, and, and produce. So, um, I, I would recommend a buffer like you guys were saying, where, um, you protect the newly planted trees. And even if you could protect the orchard from a prescribed burn, I, I would recommend doing that. What Ian saying, Joe is don't burn my dang tree. Don't burn my chestnuts. <laughs> we do not want chestnuts roasting over an open fire is what you're trying to say. Uh, there he is. Uh, Ian, kind of along that same line of thinking, what about herbicide? Man, you know, we we go into our food plots pretty much yearly, at least once a year, and spray spray with herbicides. Do we? Is there any concern for overspray, or should we just avoid getting near them altogether, or what's your rule of thumb there? So for the first few years, I would recommend being careful about herbicide drift. Once the tree is three, five, seven years old, um, and the bark is thickened, especially once, you know, it's, it's, you know, over five or seven years old, it, it can resist herbicide. Um, I wouldn't spray a ton on the base if you can avoid it. Right. True. Um, but, but they'll, they'll resist it at that point. Um, but any earlier than that, 
I, I would be careful about drift and you can use a drift shield. Ah, that's a good idea. As you, as you drive by, you could have just a singular shield that you move from tree to tree and, or, you know, or if you can just have a buffer, you know, of a, of a little bit of room, you know, something that helps a little bit with that are grow tubes, but they're not the best kind of shield. They still have holes. So, you know, you can't just drench the area completely. You know, our, our tree package includes a weed mat, a grow tube, and some bamboo stakes. And the weed mat surprisingly protects the, you know, the few feet around the bottom of the tree from weed competition. Now, weeds are going to grow up around that weed mat and up over the chestnut, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, but I, I have some videos um, here and there where I, I show some of our weed mats in action and I come into a very overgrown tree and in uh, less than two minutes, I'm able to pull back the grass and weeds and the weed mat protects it um, significantly at the, the base of the tree. So I would really recommend weed mats and that kind of gives a little bit of a buffer as well. Um, but, but just to go back to it, I, I would recommend a, sh a, a, an herbicide shield for the first couple years, at least, um, when you're doing heavy, heavy herbiciding. As you can see, Ian, we're, we're worried about killing these trees. There's a lot of ways <laughs> we could kill them. There's a um, lot of ways to kill them. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of potentially another way, uh, what about planting depths? I mean, can you plant them too deep? Yes. So, a good way to tell the correct planting depth is um, in a containerized planting, you want to plant right at the soil level. Um, containerized meaning they come in the soil that they were grown in at the nursery. You, you don't want to pot any deeper than the top of that soil line. Uh, if you do, it can cause vulnerability and rot around the base of the trunk any higher and you can expose the top of the root ball which isn't recommended in both of those scenarios a little bit of leeway probably won't kill the tree but uh it could you know you know leaving damaged wood like that like the top of the root ball or uh or the the top of the trunk when those become damaged, they just become a very vulnerable to disease and rot. And, and so, so the, you want to make sure to plant where the, um, the top of that soil is at the soil line that you're, you're filling soil back in with. Now for a bare root planting, uh, you're going to want to plant at the top of the root ball just towards the top of the root ball. And a, a good way to see this is, is to go, just go online and take a look at some pictures. We have some pictures on our website and, and even just a quick YouTube video or, or Googling around. If you're really unfamiliar with planting trees, it might be good to watch or take a look at some pictures of it. Um, just to familiarize yourself with, with where that line is. Um, it is pretty important, you know, those, those exposed areas can cause, uh, just slower growth, uh, opens the tree to disease. Sure. Yeah. We need all the help we can get. And you guys have some great resources on your website. Looking at that over here, that'll definitely be a good guideline for going into the planting all these trees. So we've found site selection. We've got a spot. We put our trees in the ground. A minute ago, you mentioned the, the weed mats. What are your recommendations for reducing any other species or are those weed mats adequate and do we fertilize these things whenever we put them in the ground or when should we start fertilizing them if we need to yeah so for tree protection from from like herbaceous weeds grass uh, a weed mat is pretty sufficient to do so um, and then when the tree is older herbicides um, can be helpful, but we got to be careful of drift. And a grow tube is great for the first few years. Uh, a grow tube acts again as a bit of a protection um, from small critters and from 
you know, e even in a, you know, like we talked about earlier, a, a cold, uh, late frost scenario, a weed mat, or I'm sorry, a grow tube actually acts a bit like a very light greenhouse, almost like a uh, frost cloth um, and can protect some of that tender new growth from the elements in a light frost. You know, it's 33, 30 degrees. It's late April. Grow tube can sometimes completely protect from, mm. from a freeze like that. Um, so a weed mat, a grow tube, and then um, to protect from wildlife, I would recommend some sort of tree caging around the tree. You can do, you know, a tree net. They have wildlife netting. You can find it at, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, Tractor Supply. Those work to some degree. Uh, in our experience, they deteriorate pretty quickly. And also, if you have an aggressive buck, it just it's going to make it right through. Pair it up. Yeah. No problem. Um, so, uh, you know, for the best possible protection, I recommend some sort of caging, like a fence. Just like an exclusion cage you would use in your food plot to yep. measure how much browse pressure you got. You can build an exclusion cage around these with some simple T-posts. Exactly. Some T-posts, some fencing, about six feet. So that's around the browse line, five, five six foot um, that should protect those those young trees. Um, and then as far as fertilizer goes, we don't recommend that you fertilize at planting. So people tend to think that you can fertilize into the, the hole as you're planting. And we recommend not doing that at transplant because tender new roots can get burned. Uh, if you get the fertilizer you know, wrapped up in that root system. So instead, I would recommend waiting until a few months into your planting and then top dressing them after a couple months once they've established. And I would recommend doing for new newly planted trees, an extended release fertilizer uh, and just follow the directions, something like Osmocote, and a six month or a nine month, even a year extended release fertilizer is uh, is super valuable. It's something you don't have to go back and do. It's going to continue to release nutrients throughout the whole growing season. Um, of course, you may, if you're in the real north, you may not want to do a nine month or a 12 month because you don't have that much of a growing season. Um, but you want to make sure to, to you know, get get that nutrients throughout the season, I, I would recommend just a really, really balanced, simple fertilizer, nothing, nothing too special. When the tree matures down the road, um, you can think about doing uh, an instant release. In our orchard, we do, when the trees break dormancy, we, we fertilize an, an instant release, pretty cheap, well-rounded, simple fertilizer. And uh, once in the, in the spring, and then once again, you know, mid to late summer, and that's about it. Nothing too complicated. And they they especially chestnuts, they do really well. Um, they respond really well. They're very vigorous growers and strong producers. Understood. I just want to back you up just a little bit before we move on from that. You mentioned the you know the wire cages around the trees. Is that in addition to the grow tubes? Yeah, I would. I would have a grow tube on the tree because it protects from cold and it can protect from rabbit, mice, um, non at the base of a young tree. That's actually pretty common. Um, you know, I mean, if you have a few trees, yeah, it could protect, you know, if you have three trees and it gnaws away and you, then you only have two trees. It's, uh, it's nice to have a little extra protection. Um, if you have 50 trees, hundred trees, you, you might actually find the, the rabbits get a new appetite <laughs> for, for, you know, fresh new growth. And so a, a grow tube helps with that. And then the tree cage is, uh, is, is pretty necessary too. Understood. Butch, did he just say rabid mice? Ian, you gotta be careful out there, man. There's <laughs> what y'all got going on down there. <laughs> That's the crazy stuff happening. In Florida. Yeah, we live in Florida. Wild stuff happens in Florida, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, what about getting the site ready? So we've got our spot picked out and we, you know, we've done everything we've talked about up to this point. As you can tell, I'm looking for another reason to burn something. Do I need to go through there and, and like do a, a, a pre-planning burn or any type of pre-planning herbicide, uh, you know, prior to putting these trees in? What do you recommend for site prep? So when I plant, replant on the farm, I go out with just a hoe and I, I expose the topsoil um, before I dig my hole just around the base of the tree. That's about all I do. Now, if you've got an area that's real overgrown, yeah, it may be good to till, burn, herbicide, just to get that planting site exposed, you know, if it's real overgrown like that. Um, but it, if you have open field, all you need to do is get in there with a hoe and and just kind of expose the top or, or or even, you know, if you're if you're digging with an auger, that should be enough to expose the area around the, you know, the root ball where you're going to be planting. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. This week's show is brought to you by LS Tractor. LS Tractor is known for building top quality, high value tractors. Headquartered in Battleboro, North Carolina, they specialize in tractors ranging from 22 to 101 horsepower. LS Tractor offers a full line of subcompact, compact, and utility tractors, as well as a growing list of implements and attachments. LS Tractor is committed to providing personal customer service and quality products through an exceptional dealer network throughout the U.S. and Canada. For more information on LS Tractor or LS Tractor products, please visit lstractorusa.com. Start blue, stay blue. Well, Ian, you mentioned the auger. I uh, actually sent a text to my brother today telling him, you know, which which model I wanted him to pick up on on his way up to come help me do this. It's a good thing to let your family members hunt, you know, well, just come hunt your place and you get help, you know, after the, after hunting season's over with stuff like this, okay, but that's fair. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to having that motorized auger. Um, I think that's going to be a big, a big help, uh, over post hole diggers or you just using a, uh, shovel or whatever it may be. But what other tools do you think somebody needs to be prepared with to get their trees in the ground and get it in, get them in quick? Yeah. And no, auger is, is definitely going to take a lot of the, the back strain out of out of digging 50 holes, 100 holes. But um, if you're not planting a ton of trees, uh, it's pretty easy it just, just to shovel them in. You know, if you're planting bare root one-year-old trees, the hole is not very large. Really, a post hole digger is going to be pretty easy to be able to uh, just, you know, prep prep those holes you know, if you imagine the root ball is only, you know, the, the size of your fist a little larger, you you want to dig a hole around two times that size. It's a pretty small hole. Um, so I would recommend a shovel or even a, you know, post hole digger. I would recommend a hoe, something to help break up the ground a little bit, get some of that competition out the, the weeds and grass i would recommend some clippers just in case you you need to prune if you're doing a larger tree planting something like you know three seven 15 gallon size tree um, you might want some pruners uh, i would recommend having a weed mat a grow tube a bamboo stake uh, i would recommend having some ties uh, a few of these things, you know, we we sell along with our tree package. So they come in the box with the trees. And I would recommend some uh, some zip ties. If you're doing a tree cage, you're going to need some posts um, and you're going to need a post hole driver. But besides that, there's not much. You know, it's it's a handful of things, but, you know, it's it's. It's not anything you need significant equipment to get out to your planting site. Talking about that a little bit, Ian, um, you know, 50 trees, like you say, they're, they're pretty easy to get in the ground for the most part, but if, I mean, it's a lot of trees to plant, if you got 50 or a hundred trees, what would you do in a scenario where you got, you know, say half of your trees in the ground 
and the weather turns bad or, you know, you had to run, run away from the camp for some reason, how long would those trees stay intact or livable or plantable? What, what would you do in that scenario? Yeah. So if you're planting dormant and bare root, um, which is pretty uh, frequent way of receiving trees, uh, if you're getting a mail order tree, a dormant tree can be taken and placed in, uh, you know, a, a shed, you know, in, in a cool outdoor garage, um, somewhere where it's semi cool. They can sit for a few weeks like that. Oh, wow. As long as they're not they're not going to freeze deeply um, as long as they're not in hot, hot weather, 80, 85, you know, 70, 80, 90 degree weather. Um, as long as they're not breaking dormancy significantly, if they're still dormant, um, they can last outside under a shed for a long time, Good you know, as long as it's cool and mild weather. So you know, it, it, it's nice that the roots stay a little bit moist. So you might think about putting them uh, into some straw um, with just, you know, a spritz of water, you know, some moist straw. Something you can also do is, is dig uh, a little hole um, and, and you put them uh, at the roots inside a little hole next to your house. That'll keep the roots moist and uh, cool underground. That's uh, a way to just hold them over for a little bit longer if you need. Um, if they're containerized and still in soil, you can keep a tree for years if you needed to. The problem is that a tree eventually becomes root bound. Right. Um, but you know, as long as you keep the tree watered a couple times a week, or if it's dormant, it may not need to be watered much until it breaks dormancy. Uh, but you can keep a tree for for quite a while in a pot. So you know if you're if you're in a situation where you're you're planning and you don't finish your planning and you got to take your trees home or or store them away, I mean and and plant a you know f a few weeks later, it's no problem if you have a dormant or containerized. That's just not a problem at all. Ian, when most people see your trees at the locations you mentioned earlier, uh, is that what they're seeing? Are they seeing a a bare root? seedling or containerized or do you ship both we ship both in the springtime we ship dormant and bare root and they show up in a box packed in root gel um, which is you know basically just a wet gel and straw that helps it stay moist during shipment um, and then in the fall time we ship containerized um, and that's because in the fall they're still going through their growing summer months and um, the tree's not dormant yet. Um, but as soon as it's dormant, we, we bare root those plants, meaning we just shake off all the soil and we put them in a cooler. Um, and that way they're much lighter to ship. We can stick a lot more in a box um, in a compact little space um, and, and they transplant a little bit kind of easier from location to location. With your containerized options, I would assume that you're selling an older tree when you do that. It, it, that allows people to maybe get the jump on on growth. They're buying a, a little bit older tree when they put it in the ground. Yeah, we we have so we we ship uh, only one to one and a half year old trees yearling a little bit longer than yearling on on our website for mail order. But when it comes to you know, getting any larger trees, we ship all of those containerized. So we won't ship, you know, a seven, 15, 30 gallon tree bare root and dormant. Um, those all go containerized. But but as far as the the website sizes go, you know, what you're buying in in fall versus what you're buying in spring are both the same year. Uh, they're both the same age tree. Well, we've talked about a bunch of different ways to kill them. That's a, that's obviously the goal uh, not to do. When it comes to after establishing our Dunstan chestnuts, how often should we be checking on them and what are we looking for when we do? So I think the main thing you want to be checking on is water. You know, making sure that your tree is being watered at least a couple times a week, especially in the hot growing seasons. 
that's the main thing we want to be checking on. And, uh, you know, if you're remote and you can't get there frequently, I mean, you need to be watching the rain like a hawk. And in between that rain, you need to be getting water to them um, because a young tree can become too dehydrated real quick and, and you have a bunch of dead trees. The other thing to look for is weed competition and grass competition. Um, you don't want to see them get overcrowded. Um, you know, a, a year tree, I mean, in a couple months, they can be shaded out by grass. <laughs> grass grows quick. Um, so you want to make sure that all that grass competition is being removed. And also, you know, competition around the base, like weed and grass, um, takes away nutrients. So any fertilizer you're, you're spreading um, is going to be eaten up by all that grass and, and weed as well. And it's going to, it's going to take away the nutrients that the tree is trying to eat up. Um, so, you know, not, not to mention that just, just the, the, the weeds can get just tangled up in an, in a new root system. It's just better to have the base of the tree protected. Last question, minor thing, but when it comes to those protection tubes, do we need to plan on going and removing those at some point or what's, what's the general rule of thumb there? Do we, do we need to remove it and when? Yeah. So this is actually a good, a good question because it, it brings up something that, that you need to watch out for. First answer your question. Yes. Uh, you'll want to remove that grow tube before the tree outgrows the diameter of that grow tube. Um, you can leave the grow tube on as long as you want. It's not going to hurt the tree if you keep it on there when the tree is way larger than that grow tube. However, when that tree diameter, when the tree starts to to outgrow the the grow tube, then it can girdle the tree, and we gotta we gotta protect it from girdling. Um, something else that can happen too is uh, depending on what you tie the bamboo the bamboo to that that grow tube around your tree the tie tape or the uh the strap you use can also girdle a tree so as the tree gets thicker and thicker you might girdle the tree with that tie tape that you've you've taped it up or or, or tied it up with so you need to make sure to get in there at least a, a few times a year and just make sure that that whatever you're tying it with is not getting too tight uh, and replace that tie um, when the tree gets large enough. Yeah. Check for any constriction. So definitely makes sense. I've seen them girdle, like you say, and then kind of, they can definitely mangle the tree trunk and then they'll bust out of it. And you never know what that tree's going to look like sometimes. Yep. Well, Ian, man, I've really enjoyed having you on hunting land today. I think you've done a great job of everything. Soil selection, site selection, site preparation, and even the, the details of how to plant these trees whenever we get them in our hands, man. We really enjoyed the interview today. And as, as I mentioned earlier, you have a great, great website with a lot of resources, with a lot of the things that we've talked about. If people want to check out Chestnut Hill Outdoors, man, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, check out chestnuthilloutdoors.com. And, you know, you can find our, um, all of our products on there. We have a thing called the Learning Center, where you can read about any of the things we talked about today and more. Um, with images, um, just to familiarize yourself with how, how to do all this stuff. We also have a, a, a store locator um, where you can find our trees in uh, Walmarts and Rural Kings all across the eastern United States. You can type in your location, easily find um, where we're at throughout the spring and fall. And all of our products are listed there for mail order shipping for our smaller sizes as well. Uh, and and you, can, you can either purchase an order there or give us a call um, at the contact at the bottom of the website. Uh, we'd be happy to answer questions. We we take calls very frequently, and and we want to see people be successful with with planting on their property. Well, Ian, it was a lot of fun, man. And thanks for letting us grill you with these questions. And uh, we're going to do our best to follow them. And looking really looking forward to it, and and watching these things grow in the next few years. Yeah, man, I'm excited for you guys. It, it'll be fun to watch watch them grow. Butch, I'm glad we did this in advance of putting these trees in the ground at our place because there was a several pearls of wisdom in there for me in that I was like, ooh, glad he said yeah. that. That changes where I'm thinking about putting these trees. Oh, yeah. And I would have definitely been, you know, just down to even some stuff like 
we get one of those late freezes. I'd have been out there lollipopping them like he was talking about, sure. you know, like I wouldn't yeah. have thought about keeping the ground covered. I would have been yeah. thinking about the tree, you know. Actually, Melissa, my wife, taught me that on the last freeze we had down here. We were covering our lemon and lime trees. And she's like, yeah, don't lollipop it. It's the ground. I'm like, well, hey, look at you, girl with green thumb. You know, from Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Michigan. She's, I think she's just killed enough stuff where she knows how to keep yeah. some things alive when it comes to plants. Yeah. You know, but also talking about like things like that, like herbicide drift and things like that. It's another kind of uh, feather in the hat for no-till. You know, if you were doing this on the edge yeah, of a food true. plot and, and you're using that, that roller crimper to terminate your, you know, your standing vegetation and you're drilling in, you know, with your, with your new crop, you're not, you're not dealing with herbicides. So you got less to worry about. A lot to think about, but I'm really excited about doing this. Yeah, me too, man. It sounds like it's not going to be as big of a burden as I thought it was going to be. It sounds like they're pretty easy to get in the ground. Yeah. Also, the, a big tip that I took away, because we do have a pretty wet place, as do you. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you ever see any standing water, uh, you know what I mean? That's not a good place. And I, right. I pretty much know at my place now, you know, where whenever it rains, there's going to be standing water. So that right. automatically negates a lot of ground for me. Yeah makes it easier to pick where to put them. Certainly. Uh, and right now is a great time. Even if you're not going to go plant right now, right now is a great time Check to it get out. out on your property post deer season and go ahead and figure out, Hey, what's not yeah. inundated right now that might, and then start to figure out that in relation to your hunting areas, your ingress, your egress. I mean, it's going to take some time staring at a map before you figure out the perfect spot to put your trees. Uh, but heck, that extends hunting season. That's what makes it fun. That's right. Exactly. Enjoyed it, man. That was a good show. Learned a lot. Looking forward to getting those things in the ground. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also, uh, this week is brought to us by Great Days Outdoors magazine if you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content then for guys that are up in the north or up in the midwest check out great days outdoors magazine don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't fish or hunt in your home state you can pick up a great days outdoors magazine subscription and it will help you become a better southern outdoorsman great days outdoors magazine can be found at your local barnes and noble books a million Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. 